Good morning. Welcome to Providence Bible Church. For those of you who are visiting this morning, my name is Happy Hash. If you ever wonder what those look like, this is it. Um, I'll be attempting to fill in for our pastor, Jared Edgecombe. Um, today he is out of town helping his mother. Uh, she recu recuperates from some major surgery, and uh, he plans to be back next week. Please continue praying for him as he helps his mom. Um, Jared and I discussed the possible sermon topic for this week, and we agreed that what I'm going to share with you today um, is not only timely but applicable for this assembly as it enters into some stages of growth. I'm going to need some help for the, the slides to come up. There they go. Thank you. The topic or the title for this message today is Demolition or Construction. What mode are we in? We're currently in the process of building some new facilities here at Providence. And that's going to involve um, tearing down this wall. So we got a, we got a little... Um, a little operation going on that has to do with wall demolition. <laughs> and then behind this wall, we're going to be building a new baptistry. And in the far corner, back behind this wall over here, we're going to actually build a new education room. And then outside, a new shed to house all the stuff that used to be in the back room. I believe that there are some very powerful scriptural and spiritual comparisons to be made regarding both physical construction and demolition. And this morning, I'd like to just take you through some of the things that, that I believe we as a, an assembly, as we grow, we're not just growing in numbers here, but we're growing in facilities and we're growing in um, youth ministries. There's, there's so many things that are happening where there's growth taking place. But the most important area of growth is in you between you and the Lord. The scripture warns of some things that can tear down assemblies like ours. It also provides some clear instruction on how to build up the body of Christ, the church. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, You are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a temple, a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together in a dwelling of God in the spirit. What kind of building is that? A living one. Since Jesus is the cornerstone of the ultimate construction project, I think it's probably wise for us to stop every now and then and to consider what mode are we in? Demolition or construction? Because we really don't want, want to make sure we don't miss what God wants us to be or do. Now this first picture you see is a picture of a demolition project with a wrecking ball doing what it's designed to do. Now I would really like for you to take a second and, and just... Think about 
what's going on here? Because I'm going to ask you some questions in a minute for some one-word descriptions of what you're looking at there. Here's the picture of a construction operation with cranes and workers doing what they're designed to do according to a plan. But there's some huge differences between these two operations. I would like this side of the room over here to tell me right now, what is involved in demolition? Just give me, I just want some one or two word descriptions. No, no sentences, just one or two word descriptions. When you think of something being demolished, what do you think of? Help, help me. Destruction, tear down, remove. What's that? Noise. <laughs> All right, now, let's think on this side over here. I want you folks to tell me, when you think of construction, don't say noise. <laughs> what are some things other than noise that you think of? What? It, building, growth. What's that? Land. Plan. Hmm. What's the difference? I mean, you just listen to yourselves describing these two functions. I would submit to you that demolition and construction have some very basic components here that also apply to the Christian life. In demolition, you bring things down. In construction, you build them up. In demolition, you take things apart. In construction, you put them together. In demolition, you destroy or you eliminate. In construction, you establish or create. In demolition, you damage things. In construction, you preserve or restore them. In demolition, you devalue stuff. In construction, you increase its worth. As PBC grows spiritually... There's three questions that I like to ask this morning and answer. First of all, does the scripture give us any insight regarding a critical need for building a healthy church? Think about that. Second, are there any are there things that would be used to try to tear down or demolish the spiritual growth of this assembly? I'd really like this morning for you to stop and it's so easy to always think about somebody else and outside of here. Let's just think about right here this morning. And then thirdly, what does the Bible say about things that we should focus on to guard against demolition and to encourage construction of a strong and vibrant fellowship? The passage that was read a few minutes ago, I think is a beautiful picture of the number one thing that God wants for this assembly. Let's look at it again. He says, I don't ask, by the way, this is the Father, the, the Lord Jesus praying to the Father, and as he prays, look at this first sentence. I don't ask, Father, on behalf of these alone. Who's he talking to? The apostles, the people that are right there in front of him. I don't pray for these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? That's us. 
And what does he ask? That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world, listen up, so that what? The world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in what? Unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Oneness. Unity. It's a testimony so that the world can know that we belong to him. It's an extremely important building block in the construction or building up of the body of Christ. And I would submit to you, I think it's probably the number one thing on the hit parade. So what is it? What is unity? Just as I did with you a second ago, I, I stopped and I thought, okay, let's just think this thing through. What's involved in when something is unified, when there's unity, what's going on with it? Well, first of all, it's definitely oneness. There's a connection made. There's a bond that takes place. When a husband and wife get married, they become one, a unit. They're one in mind, heart, spirit, purpose. They're complete. There's, it's a whole. It's made whole. There's harmony. And it's, there's one accord. And I love this. It's, it's, they're combined into a unit. After spending almost two years in the book of Ephesians, in the Wednesday morning Bible study with the guys, I am absolutely convinced that one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians is the importance of relationships. Chapters 1 through 4 are all about our relationship with Jesus Christ. If, there's, if it says in him once, it's in there, it must have said 50 times. <laughs> Chapters 5 and 6 are about a relationship with each other. It talks about husbands love your wives and wives respect and submit to your husbands. And it, and it says now not only that, but parents take, do these same things with your children. And then it says, and, and by the way, not only is it husbands, wives, parents, children, but also bosses and subordinates, subordinates and bosses. And the need for us to put on, now think about this. Why in the world would at that point the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says, put on some armor? You're thinking, what? Put on armor? Aren't we supposed to just love each other? But he wants you to put the armor on. Why? Because you're going to be attacked. And the worst part of it is we even attack each other. Why? Because we get in the demolition mode. We are in Christ and he is in us. We are one with him in all the areas noted on the screen. That's the definition of unity. And in case of a fighting force, you need to be a unit. You need to stand together against the enemy. And our enemy is the enemy of our souls who's going to do everything he can to break up the unity of us. What's the objective? I found these two passages that I think just beautifully portray what the key objectives are. 
Psalm 131, 133, verse 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. <laughs> this is another thing. You know, when you, when you zero in on some words like this, all of a sudden you start seeing it all over the place. Second, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being what? Same or one mind, maintaining the same or one love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Hmm. This is critically important for us because this is the way the world sees him through us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. John 13, 35 says, By this all men know that you're my disciples if you have love. For one another. By the way, unity is not something that we create. It's our responsibility to, to guard it. Let's take a look at some specific things. And this is kind of the heartbeat of what I'd like to tell you this morning. Because everything I'm going to tell you about, I have a problem with myself. So I'm not talking at you, I'm talk, talking about us. What I'd like to do is take you through three sets of things that can have major impacts on the unity of this church. In, case, in each case, we're going to look at one thing that damages unity and one thing that builds it up. Let's go after the first two. Unresolved conflicts and prayer. And you think, how in the world do you connect those two, Happy? Let's see if we can give it a shot. <sighs> Unresolved conflicts. Conflicts are going to come. When I hear people say, don't you just wish we could be like a first century church? No, you don't. <laughs> Why do you think Paul wrote all these letters? Because everything was going so well? <laughs> they were messed up just like us. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 1.11 where it says that Chloe talks about the brothers quarreling with each other. <laughs> mm. What kind of problems come? What are the conflicts about? I'm just going to hit a few of these. Doctrinal issues. Oh, my goodness. How many things we argue about as Christians we got a denomination and, a, and a, a group for everything. And I, was, I heard a bunch of kids talking to college one time before I left school. I'm sitting around a room, and this one guy says, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a deeper lifer, and I'm a wider lifer, and I'm a higher lifer. And, man, you go around the room, and this guy says, and I'm, I'm an Arminian, and another guy says, and I'm a Calvinist. And then the fellow of us looked at me, just started laughing. He thinks, and he says, what are you laughing at? He says, Let's look at what we just did. 
we're all these things. And he says, I think we missed something. And he says, what? He said, Jesus. Personal disputes. <laughs> How many things happen in the personal relationships we have with each other that get us crosswise with each other? Disrespect for or disagreement with church leadership. Preferences. Finances. I didn't even put that one up there. Just, that one just came. Demanding your own way. Unresolved conflicts cause division, don't they? And you know why? Because number one, there are roadblocks, to, and the roadblocks to resolution of conflicts is because we always need to be right. Wow. We, we are afraid of confronting somebody when we know something's not right because we're afraid we're going to get put down or they're going to perceive us to be judge and jury of them. We lack humility. We can't humble ourselves and ask the Lord to help us deal with the real problem. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So unresolved conflicts is a critical item that damages unity. Well, how does prayer fix that? How does, how does prayer help shield against that and block that? Well, first of all, prayer is talking to God. And when we talk to God, we ought to be talking to God about people and about problems before you talk to people about conflicts. We get that backwards, don't we? In the Lord's Prayer, and pray that with me right now. What does it say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who you just ask for judgment. Think what you just ask. You ask him to forgive you like you forgive others. Huh. We need to ask God to intervene to resolve conflicts in ways that glorify him and not you, not me. We need to ask for a supernatural transformation. How about this? God, change me. That's a dangerous one. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Seek peace, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. That's the objective of prayer, and that's how prayer can help us put a shield up against unresolved conflicts. By the way, the church doesn't 
exists to make you and me happy. It exists to glorify God. Why is it we always seem we want God to fix other people in a conflict before he fixes us? I know y'all are going to really find this hard to believe, but I've never had a conflict with my wife in which <laughs> I didn't participate and in which I did not share in causing or making it worse. When I ask God to examine me, it clearly, it really changes everything in terms of my perspective and finding a solution to whatever problem it is we're working through. So those are the first two, unresolved conflict and prayer. Unresolved conflict is demolition. Prayer is a part of construction. How about gossip and slander and grace? And let's not, let's not. Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> let's define these two things first. Gossip. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea how painful this was. Gossip is a person who is a talebearer, who chatters or repeats idle talk and rumors, especially about the private affairs of others. Who says things behind other people's backs that they won't say to their faces. And says things does not take the time to validate information. They talk about one another instead of talking to one another. Don't we? All of us have experienced the fallout from gossip at some point in time in our lives, whether the people talking didn't mean direct harm or not. The result is always the same, broken trust, hurt feelings. It involves the communication of information about the behavior of personal life and other, about other people often without the full truth ever really being revealed or known. This is fascinating. Even Jesus knew a little bit about the impact of gossip. Throughout John's gospel, you hear him referred to as the sinner, a prophet, the Lamb of God, or a member of the court of Beelzebul. He's called all kinds of things. But in the synoptic gospels, Jesus shows how great interest. He actually, he, he played the game with them a little bit. And he says, in this, in his interest about the, the rumors of gossip and construction of, and the network's construction of his identity, he asked this, who do people say that I am? He was catching up. He, he was asking, what's the gossip? That's exactly what it was. What's the, what's the word on the street? What's the gossip about me? But then he really, he jarred their eye teeth. You know, what's the next thing he asked them? Who do you say I am? Mm. 
I'm just going to do a little side take here, a little rabbit search on this one. Slander. The Bible talks about slander and gossip all together a lot, and I don't think there's any accident. But slander is different because slander is telling or sharing. Well, don't we love that? We, when we start talking about something, we're going to share something with them about somebody. Oh, my goodness. Telling any kind of story or relating information to third parties with intent to harm them, damage them, defame them, or another person, group, or organization. It's intentionally taking gossip to a whole new level. Damaging, harmful. It, and it can be done either in front of a person or behind their back. Now let me go back to the main topic here on gossip. Let's look at some biblical perspectives of gossip. <clears throat> These passages I just think are just fantastically clear on what it's about. 1 Timothy 5.13 says, Besides that, they learn to be idlers. People that are just getting into everybody's stuff but their own. Going from, about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. <laughs> Proverbs 16.28, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, separates close friends. That's another word for gossiper. Can't, I mean, going back to this last one, can't you, haven't you done that? I'm going to give you some examples in just a minute. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And last... Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own. Look, listen at this. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who ta takes a passing dog by the ears. You ever tried that? You're liable to get bit. Let me give you some examples. Number one, this is going to get real personal now. You thought it wasn't bad enough already? Get ready, here it comes. <laughs> Telling unverified stories. Let me give you one. Let's just suppose I was having a, a conversation with um, my buddy Jamie. And I said, hey, Jamie, I heard that Kenny was having some problems with his boss at work. And knowing Jamie the way I know him, he'd probably say, what's he done now? <laughs> Second one. This is another example of the same thing. Somebody passed Katie and me on the way in this morning, and they said, they were talking to each other on the side, and they said, man, Sam, did you just see the body language between Happy and Katie? I wonder what's wrong. How about telling stories? By the way, neither one of those was true. 
that if I'd have said something about Kenny's boss at home, that might have been a whole different ballgame. Telling true stories, but without permission. Think, look at this one. Hey, George. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Hey, George, can I tell you a secret? I understand that Jeremy is in financial trouble. He told me about it last week, and he asked me to keep it confidential. Will you pray with me for him? Oops. gossip how about passing on someone else's complaint this one this one is personal because it actually happened I walked into Pastor Edgecombe's office a couple months ago and I said Jared some people told me they had a real problem with some of the things that you said last Sunday and he said happy that's real nice why didn't you ask them to come and tell me about it? And I did. Another one. I love this because this happens a lot. John told me that he really did not like what Mark said about Richard's proposal. <laughs> Can you believe we do this stuff? Gets better. Sharing negative or critical opinions with others about someone else's character or work without talking to them first. Can you imagine me walking down the hallway here? Because as you know, I was the administrator here for a while. I'm walking down the hallway here one day and I get about to that corner right over there and there's two guys standing around the corner from me talking. And I just happened to overhear them. And they said... As they were talking, they said some very critical things about the old administrator. And they said they were glad he was gone. You get the point? By the way, that didn't really happen. But it could. Telling false stories or lies, just making things up. How about this one? Danny told me he thought Fred was a thief and a liar, but he couldn't prove it. This kind of sums up the point here. Proverbs 25, 9 and 10 says, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. At least he who hears you brings shame upon you and your ill repute will have no end. When you find yourself in a conversation with somebody who starts gossiping, you need to stop them and say, please don't tell me anymore. Go talk to the person you're talking about. Do not bring me into this. I don't want to grab this dog by the ears. I got to quickly go through a couple things here that I'm just going to say this. When you talk about grace, which is the way to deal with gossip, you first need to understand what gossip is. And there's, there's some pieces to this. I think it just, I'm going to share three definitions with you that I think will help you get to what really grace is all about. See, justice is getting what you deserve. 
the punishment you deserve, whatever you screwed up, all right? Mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve, all right? Like if, if, if Bob Rollins throws a baseball through my window and it breaks the window, justice says he ought to pay for it. Mercy says, Bob, I got it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. But grace is getting something good you do not deserve and not getting the punishment that you do deserve. So in my same example, I would say, Bob, not only do you not have to pay for it, how about come on in and let's have dinner with me? That's grace. By the way, I could spend a whole time just talking about how Jesus demonstrated all three of those things. And on the cross, he took care of it all. God's grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what it is. So how can exercising grace prevent gossip? How, how could we possibly do that? Well, here's a couple of passages. Colossians 4, this one has got to be, if there was a home run in the passage to try to make the point I'm trying to make it, this is it. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. as fits the, oh, there's that word again, building up. It's the occasion that it may have grace to those who hear. Luke 6.31. I think that's called the golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. And then that... You need to talk to people, not about them. Go to them. In Matthew 5.23-24 says, if you're getting ready to present your offering... And you know somebody's got something against you, go see them. And and Matthew 18 says, if you know that you have something against somebody, you need to go take care of it. So either way, it's you. (laughs) Give a blessing when you go and not a curse. (laughs) Simple question. How would we talk about people? Would we, excuse me. Would we talk about people the same way if they were in front of us? And if, if we would just ask that question first before we get into things, how dramatically life would change. Because if not, we're very likely giving a false impression of those we're speaking about as well as giving a bad impression about ourselves. It's just like that passage I just read. When the truth finds out, you're the one that gets shamed. One more round. We talked about unresolved conflicts, prayer. We talked about gossip and slander. We talked about grace. How about this one? Critical spirit. <laughs> Critical spirits can destroy relationships because what comes from it is anger, resentment, bitterness. Hebrews 12, 25 says, See that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble. And that by many are defiled. Condemnation, Romans 8 1. I, I love this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yet, there, in, we, in Romans 14, it says, Don't judge lest you be judged. Rather, determine not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in somebody else's way. Stop condemning people. There's nothing about a 
getting a log out of a splinter out of your buddy's eye when you got a log in your own. And then what happens from that is rejection and separation. And if anybody knows anything about rejection, it's Jesus. By the way, it says in Matthew 21, 42, the builders rejected the cornerstone of the ultimate building. What we really need to deal with a critical spirit is a new, clean heart. And that's exactly what David prayed for in Psalm 51. Lord, create in me a new heart, a clean heart. And you know what? There's only one person that can do that. And you know who that is? It's the Holy Spirit. Because so, what's wrong with us is your eyes are on yourself and not on Jesus. And, and our hearts are the problem. And your mouth reveals it. When he's in charge, though, when the Holy Spirit is in charge, he empowers us to unity. He gives us love. He helps us to appreciate, to encourage. He's the one that can reconcile. He's the one that can restore We need to ask him to forgive us and to take control again. We need to seek his will and not ours. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And then we can be filled, just like the song we, and the passage that was read here earlier, how beautifully said. That's what we want in our lives. None of those have anything to do with gossip. None of them have anything to do with a critical spirit. There's the whole list. I have one more little thing I want to share with you on this list that I think really beautifully sums up. In the pursuit of God, A.W. Tozier wrote this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. Let me read that again. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So the hearts of 300 worshipers sitting here in this church who are all looking to Jesus for their every need can stay tuned and in tune like no other people on the earth. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do that. Can you imagine how things could be at Providence Bible Church if we spent more time getting tuned up by him than by talking about each other? Maybe to do the construction work we're talking about, you need to change the clothes. <laughs> look at that list on the left. And look at the one on the right. Colossians 3, I'm closing with this passage here. Colossians 3. First of all, you need to know this. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, He lives in you and you are in Him. Therefore, this is what Colossians, Paul says to the Colossians, put aside, take off <laughs> all anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech from your mouth. Don't lie to any one another. But put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. 
whoever's complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then look at this last phrase. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let's pray.